Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters one and two of A Court of Thorns and Roses. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. I thought that no one could fix me. Can't get hold of my feelings. With you in my head. With you in my heart. I'm not afraid of the dark. Libby, I think we should probably introduce who we are. I guess, yeah. Hi, everyone. My name's Abby. I'm a photographer who's currently living in northern Italy. My husband got stationed here the summer of 2022, and we're going to be here for the next couple of years. I'm a dog mom to the sweetest Australian Border Collie mix named Nova. I currently spend my days wandering about the Dolomite Mountains, taking photos of people, reading in my hammock in my garden, and visiting as many coffee shops as I can before moving back to the U.S. My favorite food is a three-way tie between sushi, pasta, and fresh bread. And thank God I live in Italy because there's fresh bread everywhere. I recently got gastric bypass surgery and I'm working towards a healthy weight for the first time in my life. Uh, lastly, I am a self-declared grandma whose favorite hobbies include embroidery, baking, and crocheting. Libby Stern. Okay. All right. I mean, in my head, like when we're not doing this, this is so much easier. Like I, I there's so much to say about myself. And then like, it's like, all right, now tell me about you. And I'm like, I... I have nothing. I was never a person before now. Okay, yeah, so I'm Libby. Hi. I do medical billing. It is a very difficult job, and I, I love it so much. I am totally always accepting a raise if anyone from my work is listening. Anyway, I don't live in Italy. I live in the United States, in the South. It's hot where I'm at. We're, we're near the coast, which works because my favorite food is anything seafood so like crab especially or oysters always a golden choice i'm married um i have a child i say a child she's young and yet she also seems to be a teenager in her child body she catches us off guard quite a bit i also have a dog who's older than my child i really like to garden um i can't keep flowers alive though like flowers are not my thing vegetables though thriving absolutely thriving i have a kale plant it was supposed to be a plant it's a tree i do like to read i would hope so we have a book podcast i don't like to read abby made me do this please help <laughs> that is such a lie she forced me that's not true <laughs> no it's not it's not at all i really do like to read i read mostly on my nook and never ever doing work hours only on my breaks i'd like to say i'm an amateur photographer and I really like puzzles I do especially the acrylic ones acrylic puzzles feel better than cardboard ones there's a difference that's all I got I think we should let them know that we first met in college about 10 years ago and we met in a really boring earth science class that we stupidly took at 9 a.m and uh, this teacher made me so bored that I would fall asleep during class and Libby would have to wake me up by like either throwing something at me or tapping me in the back however his tests were super easy to pass. Thank God we passed that class. We also had a speech class together. We were going to move in as roommates, but Libby got to go and marry her husband instead. But we've been friends for about 10 years. And I had found Akatar when I was going through my gastric bypass surgery three months ago. I started reading it while I was high on painkillers. And I remember reading the first chapter and going, I don't understand why people are reading this. I don't know why this is so popular. 
But then slowly over the next couple of weeks when I was able to recuperate and, you know, had my brain back, I fell in love with the book series. And then I told Livy that she needed to read it. Now I would say we're basically obsessed. Libby, would you? This is chokehold. I feel like we grew up reading generally popular books. Like in middle school, we read like Hunger Games. I think that was middle school and like Twilight and stuff. And it, it had a grasp on our lives. And like looking back, I'm almost ashamed that I let not those books. We love those authors. That's not what I'm saying. But but sometimes there are some books I look back and I'm ashamed that I let have control over my life after reading this series where I'm like, wow, no, like, I can't believe I got so invested. You were like, they're nothing compared to Akatar. Nothing. Exactly. It was nothing. I, I said it before to you, and I will say it again. This is like the only cult I would ever happily join. The only approved cult I th- could think of <laughs> out there. Like, welcome, guys. Welcome to the cult. I remember seeing TikToks on Book Talk about Akatar, and I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, why are people obsessed? This is... This makes no sense. This is just a book. It's just a couple of books, guys. Chill out. And now I get it. It, it has become a true obsession. So with that true obsession, we decided eh, we should probably do something productive instead of just having four or five hour long phone calls with each other discussing the series. If we're going to talk about it, we might as well let other people hear. If they want to. Look, guys, I'm not going to force you to stay. If you are staying... Uh, you might as well get to know what the plan is for these episodes going forward. So our thought is we go through the entire Akatar series, starting with A Court of Thorns and Roses, chapter by chapter. So Libby will take one chapter or two, depending on the length of the chapters, and I'll take the other. We're going to walk through a quick summary of the chapters and then discuss our thoughts and feelings, talk about the characters, spill the tea, do whatever we got to do to explain this series to you guys. Anything else you got to add? I would like to say I do have an upcoming wisdom teeth removal surgery and I think it'd be really fun to read the books on painkillers and understand what you went through. <laughs> At least the first chapter. You've got to do it. Like I, I was sober in every sense of the possible word when I read these and you were not. So <laughs> now I can understand both. Oh my God, we're going to have to do it. So uh, to get started, Libby's got the first chapter. Libby, you ready to give your summary? Oh gosh, yes. Chapter one, here we go. Our main character is found deep in the woods, further than they'd normally venture, but out of a desperate need to hunt and find food. This desperation has driven them to an area that's rumored to hold wolves and possibly fairies. Snowfall is heavy. It's difficult to stay quiet with the crunching snow beneath their steps, and daylight is fading. Hunger has driven the main character to deadly lengths. They must risk fairy encounters for the chance at food. The main character is gangly. Their ribs are so prominent you can see and count them. They take a moment to stop and think of their older sisters at home waiting and depending on them to eat. They reflect on the time that they would have admired the harsh beauty of the winter, taking in the surrounding colors and textures. The main character had once dreamed of a day that their sisters were married and gone when they could live to paint and simply be. These dreams are not a possibility these days. There simply isn't time to admire the world around. These days, they only have stolen moments with Isaac to bring a distraction. The main character returns to the present situation and discovers a doe before them, immediately, instinctually hungering. Thoughts of how the doe could be prepared for food and other goods swarm their mind. This deer would save them. The thought alone makes the main character tremble. However, the main character finds before them golden eyes also hunting the doe. Everything stops. Time, temperature, noise from fear. Before the main character is a wolf, larger than any pony, yet somehow silently moving. 
The main character allows the idea that this could be a fairy to settle. It would do them good to kill a wolf or a fairy. The main character takes stock of their weapons. They've got one hunting knife, two regular arrows, and one mountain ash arrow with an iron head. Iron is hated by fairies, but mountain ash, mountain ash, I should say, is lethal. At least that's what the humans have taught one another. Ash arrows are rare though. The High Fae had burned them long ago. The main character aches with a horrifying thought. Is this wolf alone? The main character draws back the ash arrow, telling themselves, if this is Fae, good. It deserves to die. They'd be glad to do the job themselves. The main character watches as the wolf kills the plump doe and then releases the ash arrow into the wolf's side, hoping for their heart. The wolf barks out in pain and focuses in on the main character, but doesn't attack, only watches and growls. The main character notes the intelligence in the beast's eyes before releasing another arrow, a regular one. A normal wolf, they'd be dead. Yet somehow this beast only lays dying. The main character waits until the chest of the beast is no longer moving with breath and then allows a moment to themselves to be relieved. The main character can only carry one animal back, so they skin the wolf and wrap the bloody pelt around the doe to carry home. One last look at the slain wolf who appears to be watching the snow fall from above. The main character pauses. Should they be remorseful? No. And that's chapter one. Okay, uh, chapter two. The main character walks their way back home, which we find out to be a dilapidated cottage with shuttered windows. When they walk the path up to their home, they can hear their sisters talking. As they knock the snow off their boots, they look up to note the carvings etched around the doorframe. They remember that their father traded the drawings that were to ward off any fairy harm for one of his wood carvings. Even though the main character thought the trade was pointless, they couldn't bring themselves to tell their father since it was the only thing he'd been able to do to protect his daughters. The main character opens the door and they're greeted by their sister Elaine, who is a beautiful, golden brown haired, brown eyed girl. We learn the main character's name is Feyre after Elaine exclaims her name upon sight. Elaine ignored the blood and exhaustion on Feyre and instead let the hunger she felt show on her face the moment that she saw what Feyre had brought from the woods. Feyre began to get frustrated with how little her sister seemed to care about her when she remembered why she was out in the woods in the first place. Feyre made a promise to her mom before she died. We don't find out what that promise was, but whatever it was, it calmed Feyre down enough to not scream at her younger sister. Feyre put the deer on the kitchen table and took in the sight of her older sister Nesta and her father, warming their hands by the fire. Turning back to Elaine, who asked how quickly the dough would take to clean, Feyre's annoyance began to flicker again. Her younger sisters and father had never had to venture into the woods to find food. They'd never even had their hands bloodied. Instead, she was the one that had to do all the work. But she knew Elaine wasn't trying to be mean. She was just aloof to a lot of the negative aspects of their lives. Elaine was good at heart and had even gifted Feyre paint at the end of a summer. The summer they had enough money for such things. It was the only gift Elaine had ever given Feyre. Feyre's father attempted to compliment her as a thank you for her efforts in the woods when her older sister Nesta just laughed at her. Nesta never really recovered, we find out, after her father lost their fortune. That loss resulted in creditors coming to their cottage and fighting the girl's father, leaving him with a shattered, ruined leg. That night, Elaine and Nesta hid while Feyre was the only one who stayed by her father's side to help. The only reason the creditors left was because of Feyre herself, though it included vomiting and um, peeing on herself from fear. Mm. Mm, lovely. From that day on, her family was never quite the same, and her father pretty much gave up on life. 
He never even questioned when Feyre started to go into the woods, the woods that grown men feared to hunt in. But now he was trying at least a little more. He hobbled over and began to interrogate her regarding the wolf hide, saying there was too much risk in killing the creature. Feyre stated that she had no other choice. Feyre's older sister interrupted, letting Feyre know oh so kindly that she was dirty and smelled disgusting. As Feyre goes to change clothes, she makes her way to their shared bedroom that had one bed, the only item remaining from their former lives, and an old dresser painted with the gift from Elaine. Each girl had their own drawer. Elaine's was painted with flowers, Nesta's with flames, and Feyre's with stars. The family filled their hungry stomachs that night. As she finished dinner, Feyre thought back to her mother. She was a cold mother, but a doting wife who would have broken knowing their wealth had been lost. The promise Feyre made to her mom before she died? We found out it was this, stay together and look after them. Promises were law in their world and Feyre wouldn't let her mother's dying wish be in vain. Feyre brought her mind back to the table in front of her where her sisters were chatting seemingly about a proposal for Nesta with the local woodcutter's son, Thomas Mandre. Feyre about lost it. They didn't have anything to give for Nesta. No livestock, no dowry, not a damn thing. Feyre stated that all Nesta would be that boy was just a burden, another mouth to feed. Nesta didn't really enjoy hearing that, so she stomped off to the other bedroom, leaving Feyre with the cruelest words she could muster. Feyre's father tried to defend Nesta, saying that if it's love, but Feyre stated that love didn't matter in their world. Feyre's father interrupted, saying that they needed hope as much as they needed bread and meat to let her sister keep her hope that this man loved her. Feyre simply stated there was no such thing as hope. That is sad. It sucks, yeah. Like, I'd like to think that she's coming from a realistic perspective and not just pessimistic, but I, I don't think that that's her thought process. Because, like, I, too, I don't want to give myself false hope. I'm not going to allow myself to get excited and be hopeful for an outcome that I don't see happening. I'd rather prepare myself and be ready for the worst outcome because then it makes the blow less painful. However, I don't think that that's where Feyre is coming from with her response. Feyre doesn't have the ability to fall in love right now. She is simply in survival mode. She's trying to get enough food for her family. She's trying to keep them alive. Love to her right now is not even a concept. Well, it's not a need. She's got pressing necessities that need to be addressed. How is that, how is that something that you have, would even be able to give yourself time for? I mean, it, it's between survival and and meeting somebody i mean honestly nobody's gonna be like well you know let's let's go find someone like i haven't eaten in a few weeks i might die soon but like maybe there's a mm, sex right exactly no so we've got this main character who, thank God we know her name now because that was very frustrating to not know gender or name for the first chapter who who am i uh getting to so intimately know right now <laughs> So we find out that she's hunting in the woods because she's starving, right? Then she runs into this deer, which she's very thankful for. But then here comes the wolf. Like, hey, I'm going to get the deer instead. And she's like, actually, scratch that. I'm going to kill both of them. She does that. But there was like a, a shudder or something. Libby, what was that? Yeah, a shudder. The whole ground shuddered, which that was something we had touched on where... I'm sorry, you don't kill a wolf and the ground shudder. That's not, no. I don't know, maybe she meant that to Feyre, the earth shook type thing. So I guess I could see that. That that would make more sense. Still, at this point, she has killed how many beings? Feyre has been hunting for how long? This is not, I mean, she wraps up the, the chapter by saying, 
essentially she doesn't feel bad. She had to survive. So if she's got that mindset, why would the earth shake around you? Why would Feyre be so shaken up by just this? She had to know that this was something significant. So I, I know during the first chapter, she is sitting there. She's wondering if she should kill this animal, if it's fairy or if it's just a wolf. And obviously she decides it's just a wolf at the end. But like you said, the world around her shuddered. So she had to know somewhere deep down that that was just not a wolf. It was something more. Well, I mean, she would have been able, and she does, to justify it either way. If it's a wolf, I mean, it's a wolf. You kill or be killed and it's dinner, possibly, obviously, and whatever you can carry back. But if it's not a wolf, it's... It's a fairy. It's something that is a threat to your existence, to the existence of your village. I, I mean, either way, it's a safety concern. We don't know much about the fae right now. All we know is that they are feared, and yet don't want to fuck around and find out, basically. And welcome to the world of Sarah J. Mass, where pronunciation, that stuff hurts. When I first read this, I was like, fairies? <laughs> what is a fairy? Fa- no, fairies. That, that's how we're spelling Fairy, I was like, I don't know if I can read this, if that's what that is. No, so um, everything you thought about pronunciations? Out the window. You didn't. You don't. know. you're wrong. I would like to make a PSA that if we do not pronounce things correctly, we're not professionals. We've got her in the woods. She kills this wolf. Then she brings the wolf hide home and brings the doe home. Her family gets fed. Her sisters are, one of them's kind of a brat and the other one's just kind of honestly kind of dumb. Favor's not sure if she's purposely ignoring like the negative sides of their life or just doesn't grasp the concept. And you're touching on Elaine with that one, right? With with the aloofness. Yeah. With Elaine, there's a few things that I had that I made little bullets. I have a little, I, I have my little journal here. I made little bullet points. Yeah, we have Elaine bullets. So let's see. Elaine, she just seems... Not ditzy. Not ditzy. She is obviously a person with thoughts and feelings. She just seems, I don't want to say annoyingly optimistic either, but just not all there even. Just kind of in her own world of like, if I don't acknowledge it and I just live in this moment. It doesn't happen. Exactly. I don't have to face the rest of the world. You know what? If that's how you cope. So it's almost like yin and yang here. Elaine, who is so hopefully optimistic, sees the bright side of life, is positive 90% of the time. And then you've got Nesta, who is this rude, bratty, short-tempered woman. And it's almost like they're fighting at each other all the time. And Feyre is the only one that actually gets anything done. Well, and with with Nesta, I mean, both sisters, both personalities seem like a coping defense mechanism. I mean, Elaine protects herself by living almost in not the truth of the situation. And Nesta protects herself by, I mean, putting a wall up, just scaring people off and attacking. I mean, at this point, that's my guess. Because not, why are you that awful person? Like, why else would you just be that completely hurtful and, and disrespectful to anyone? And it breaks my heart that Feyre almost just expects the worst from her sister at this point. And Nesta really does live up to that. So Feyre's dad is like, dude, thanks for bringing home a meal. And instead of being like, thanks, sis, Nesta just goes and laughs. 
she's just like snorts at it. But like there are people that get to the point where it's like, if that's what you're going to think of me, why not live up to that? So maybe it's come to a point where Nessa's just like, that's just what people think of me anyway. Why not give them what they're looking for? Like, could that be possible? Yeah. At some point in chapter two, we hear that Elaine likes to garden and that when they had a little bit of money, Elaine had planted some flowers. Again, this has been, I think, a huge deal in the fandom. Plenty of people have pointed out flowers. Why not vegetables? Why not food? Why not something helpful? Right. And I want to know the same thing, especially as someone who can't keep a flower alive and vegetables grow like there's no tomorrow. Like, why? What the heck? But there was something that caught my attention where she, Feyre is kind of introspectively thinking, or not introspectively, big words that aren't necessary. Feyre is thinking that, you know, Elaine could never be the type to get her hands dirty. She could never go out and do something like kill an animal. And yet she can dig in the garden, literally getting your hands dirty. I didn't think about that. So it makes me wonder, It was it a reflection of a possibility? We don't know much, obviously, about Elaine. Is it possible that Sarah J. Mass wants us to see through Feyre's eyes and makes everyone immediately visualize Elaine of being like this innocent creature that can't get her hands dirty. Meanwhile, she's actually doing it. And it's like, she actually does. She actually is willing to get her hands dirty. So is it something that's foreshadowing? Is it something that one day we will see maybe Elaine actually can and will get her hands dirty? So Elaine, possibly. Nesta, at this point, all we know about her is that she's mean. I'm getting mean girl vibes, I am. And I'm not saying I have a mean sister and ever had to deal with that growing up, but I am saying that I do know how that feels to have to deal with that. So it is a defense mechanism, but at the same time cannot be forgived if it happens over and over and over again. And to the point that Feyre just expects the worst from Nesta and Nesta gives it. I mean, you do, you meet your limit. At what point are you expected to continually forever just con- just forgive it and put up with it and go, well, our mom died however many years ago? I mean, as much as I dislike Nesta right now, that doesn't even hold a flame to how much I despise their father. Uh-huh. This man, I get that he's hurt. I get that he's been through some stuff. My favorite word is resiliency. I believe every single person has to be resilient to have a good life and this man is the antithesis mm-hmm. of resiliency this man got knocked down lost his fortune and instead of fighting back he lets his daughter go into the woods and fight for them i made a note straight up it's funny that you say that that says before i read it at least with nesta and elaine they have some sort of coping mechanism i do not believe this dad is able to cope or accept reality. I truly think he's he's just completely given up and is waiting for someone to rescue him. As a parent, never would I sit around and wait for my child to fix my problems or to save me. I would never sit around watching them wither and decay away go out and risk their lives to take care of me. Even, I don't care if my leg is like completely gone. I never would I ever turn to my child and expect that. So for him to just accept that and be okay and just make little comments like, oh no, you shouldn't have. I don't even think he accepted it though. I think something that really hit to the core was when Vera had said, my dad didn't even notice, didn't even blink an eye when I started to go into the woods that even grown men feared to be in. He didn't even notice. He's just sitting at that fire, staying warm. But obviously at some point he realizes because he's making comments about you shouldn't have like gone out that far. So at some point he 
comes enough online to realize she is putting herself in danger. And instead of saying, you shouldn't be doing this at all, let me get my happy butt up and find a way to save our family. No, he's just like, oh, you shouldn't go that far out. It's like, thanks, dad. Thanks. Okay, well, what are you doing, dad? <laughs> yeah, what, what is your suggestion? He's like, you know what? I got it. I know what's going to save this family. I'm going to carve some dolls. And I, I really hope, oh, guys, you see that guy down the road? He's going to carve something in our wall. It's not going to do anything. We can pretend and I'm going to give him some wood carvings. We're done. Life, we're set. Instead of like actually helping my family, I'm just going to like trade a wood carving for somebody to come put some spooky drawings on our door frame. And that's going to protect my family. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to tell my kid, hey, hey, I know your birthday is coming up. I know we got bills to pay, but if I put this puzzle together, like I know this puzzle was made like by like 500 other, like 500 other people own the same puzzle. But if I put it together, like someone's going to want to buy it from me and we'll be set. I don't know when. We don't know for sure. And if you don't want to wait to find out. I'm not going to go to a market and sell these. Right, right. They're going to just show up. And if you're not happy with that, you know what? There's a cow farm across our neighborhood. There is. There's an actual cow farm across our neighborhood. Go on over. Get some steak. You got this. Not even get some steak. Kill a whole cow. Bring it back by yourself and you skin it and then I'll eat it. What do you think? And while you're doing that, I got another puzzle waiting. He's doing nothing to help his family. He lost his wife. He lost his fortune. And now he's just given up on life. And I think, I mean, not as a parent, I'm a dog parent. It's not the same thing, but it just drives me crazy that he has no parental instinct. I don't think you need to be a parent, even if you have a parent. And you know what? If this is a situation you have been in before where you are the one providing and taking care of your parent. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I am. I am truly sorry that you have ever had to deal with that. There is going to be, I feel it, throughout any of these books, you're going to find a character, a story from a character, and you're going to feel in some way able to relate. We have, for sure. That's what makes these books so captivating. But if you have ever been in this situation where you've had to save your family in any sense of saving, not just maybe you don't go out and skin a wolf and kill a deer but like if you've ever had to provide then i i'm sorry it just makes me so sad that this youngest sibling knows that if she doesn't go out and provide for her family nobody will and they will all die and she's doing this all because she promised her mom the constant pressure the constant state of like overwhelming responsibility she lives in i was stressed reading it just reading through the amount of weight the responsibility on her shoulders that she's carrying at all times that's exhausting i am a good 10 years older than this character at this point and I'm tired just thinking of all the things that, that she's doing. And we've got two other characters here that we haven't really talked about. One is Isaac and one is Thomas. They're so far our love interests. We don't have a lot of information about Isaac at this point. No and all we know that it's kind of favorite friends with benefits. They kind of literally roll around in the hay together. In the barn yeah. That's, that's all we got. And then all we know about Thomas is that Nesta wants to marry him, but we don't know anything besides he's the woodcutter's son, and he wants to get in Nesta's pants. That's about, that's about all we got. Not in the type of way that Feyre and Isaac do, where it's a mutual distraction for one another. Thomas, you just get more of a, a darker feel. Like there just seems to be like there's going to be more information. We're going to find out more, and he just doesn't seem like a character you're meant to like. At least not yet. I would say, I, I would love to hear she mentions about um, 
how they hear about like the mountain ash being lethal to fairies. Um, and she says there were lullabies talking about the fairies hating iron. I would love to hear one. Oh, I would love to hear a lullaby about a fairy hating iron. Like I ex- maybe, you know, the kids lullabies that we grew up with, I guess it could make sense because we grew up with like London bridges falling down and rockabye baby. Like none of these things were generally great when you actually knew what they were talking about. But I'm very curious to see. So if you guys write one, like please send it in. I would love to hear a fairy lullaby about hating iron. There's some little uh, important facts that the author sprinkled in here. So we've got that iron is theoretically lethal to the fae. Ash wood is lethal to the fae. So Nesta is three years older than Feyre, and I believe Elaine is in between them. We learn that the village that Feyre is in is two days from the immortal border of Corinthian. Corinthian is the home of the fairy. The mother didn't make the two older sisters swear anything on her deathbed, only Feyre. The bed that they all slept in that was in their bedroom was the sole remnant of their former wealth. And finally, we found out about the painted drawers, that there's three different painted drawers. One of them's for Nesta, and that one has flames on it. One of them's for Feyre, and that has stars on it. And one of them is for Elaine, and that has flowers on it. Now, this author has harped on this whole painting thing. So I'm assuming this is some important information we should bank for the future. Um, but right now, we don't know the importance of it. I don't think we've heard much about what Nessa's enjoyments are. But like Elaine, it's already shown us so much that she finds so much peace in gardening. So like maybe this is this is her sense of, of peacefulness. And she keeps wanting to get back to that because to her painting, it signifies a time where she's not constantly living in a state of survival. So maybe that's why it's so important and why it's mentioned so much already. Um, also, I do hope she's a good painter because... <laughs> How embarrassing would that be? <laughs> Awful. How You know how pissed I would be if like I came home and like my husband was like, I painted everything. It's really bad. But I painted it all like I and like I what are you supposed to say like this is uh, no they're all probably like great yeah what, what is that here's some paint sis have at it and then she paints like crude two-year-old drawings of like flowers and flames Ooh. I want to know more about the long forgotten gods as well that she has mentioned a couple times she just skims right over that she really does. And I, I'm curious. I want more. I want more. And I hope they give us more. Um, I think we need to respect Sarah, our, our author and best friend at this point. And um, actually give her some credit for her, her real words, her real quotes. So do you have any favorite quotes from these two chapters? I do. I honestly, like, both chapters are a favorite quote, but since we can't do that, my absolute favorite between the two, it was on the last page, and it's page eight of the physical book. It says, I wished I had it in me to feel remorse for the dead thing, but this was the forest, and it was winter. Like, to me, it's just, oh, yes. It's so cold-hearted. It, it is. She acknowledges. She's like, there's a thing, a living thing was lost today. She acknowledges the death that has happened. But at the same time, she's like, I'm not going to let this bring my mental health down more. This is winter. I am doing what I need to do to keep not only herself alive, but three other people. I don't even t- keep th- four people alive. It's really that 
I'm doing what I have to do to survive. Yes. She's not going to let anyone or anything make her feel bad for doing what's necessary. She's just being a bad bitch, guys. She is. Along those lines, my favorite quote is from, I mean, honestly, it starts on page one of the book. So we're, we're starting out strong. Um, it's page one to page two in the physical book. And it says, that was all I could do. All I've been able to do for years. Focus on surviving the week, the day, the hour ahead. And as somebody who has been in that mindset, that survival mindset, for a very long time, I relate so much to this. And it's insane that within the first two pages, our bestie, Sarah, is already making us feel so connected to this character. Almost like trauma bonding. It is. Oh my gosh. Just saying... I've been through some shit and I know how to stay resilient through it. You know what, Farah? We have both had phenomenal therapists. We can hook you up. We got you, girl. <laughs> Do you want to go to my therapist in Italy? I'm just saying friends who therapy together, stay together, you know? One of my other best friends has her degree in psychology. So I get free therapy sessions, not only from my real therapist, because of the, you know, the military, um, but also from one of my best friends. So shout out to Lindsay. Thank you so much for my therapy sessions. Um, but yeah, Thera obviously would really benefit from therapy. Not gonna happen because girl's in survival mode. We're at chapter two and I have yet to meet a character that would not benefit from therapy. Listen, this family would keep a whole psychologist in business. They'd be like the only patients needed. They wouldn't though, because they can't even pay to keep their food on the table. I take it back. I would just like to say my final thoughts on this first two chapters is that everybody in this damn book needs to go to therapy. Libby, do you have any final thoughts on our first two chapters? My final thoughts were the first time I read this, I still didn't get it. I still wasn't a fan at first. The first time I read it, I was I was like, I don't understand the hysteria. Um, I don't have the butterflies. I don't feel as captivated. Now, after reading through the book and starting it over, immediately it brings me in. I see so much more. I pick up on so much more rereading it. So if you guys haven't, if you haven't read it, give it a chance. If you have read it, go back and pick apart the details. It's There's a lot more here than I realized. And I'm excited to keep going and to see what else we can, you know, rant about. <laughs> I think one of my favorite parts of doing this podcast has been the ability to go back to a story that I already know and love and be able to pick apart the storyline, pick apart the characters, pick apart the plot development instead of rushing through to get all the new information, right? Like this book series was so good that I felt myself wanting to rush through long paragraphs, wanting to rush through reading pages just so I could take everything in for the first time. And it's really cool to be able to go back and slow down and take in all these little clues that our bestie Sarah has put into this book. Well, yeah, the first time you read it, I don't know if you do it, where you like excited read and you're like, I, I did not read that at all. I, I read it, but I didn't read that at all. And now, even though I forced myself to try to go backwards and, and focus and take in what she was writing... Now we get to truly do that. And even still rereading it the last couple of days, I'm still picking up on more than I ever did the last 500 times that I've gone over this book with a fine tooth. I'm excited for this podcast for both new readers and old readers of this series because I think it's going to open a lot of people's eyes to maybe some aspects of the book they never thought of before. 
And you know what? If uh, if Sarah J. Mass does not like our pronunciations or we're getting something wrong, that's totally fine. You just give us a shout out. You can come on the podcast. I was about to say, she can reach right out to a court of thrones and podcasts at gmail.com and tell us all of her thoughts. Okay, so now that we've walked through all of our thoughts on these two chapters, and I think we could keep talking for approximately a week straight about everything in this book, but we do need to wrap things up. So every single week, we would like to highlight somebody in the Akatar world that has done something cool or something we really liked, either like selling something on Etsy, made a cool TikTok, owns like a really cool Instagram account. We're gonna call them our star of the week. And this week, we've actually got two of them. Our first star of the week is the lovely Arcana. She's actually the artist who created the music that we're so excited to use here on our podcast. She created our intro and outro music. It's actually a song called The Dark that she created two years ago, and she has graciously let us use it for the podcast. So we are super excited and super thankful. She's got a couple Akatar songs. We're going to go ahead and link her in the show notes. So please go to her YouTube channel and let her know that we sent you over. Additionally, you can reach out to her on Instagram. Her Instagram is i.am.arcana. Go ahead and fangirl with us. She's amazing. First off, to have an artist that's creating Akatar music, that is just so cool. Like she made that from scratch and it's so good. Like, oh my God, right? She blows my mind. I can't wait. She's going to blow up. She, she already is blowing up, but like, I can't wait to be like, hey guys, like, yeah. Excuse me, what did you say? Her music was on what? Oh, yes, her music, guys. Oh my God, she was featured on an episode of Love is Blind. What? What? I'm sorry, you're saying that the woman who was letting us use her music for our podcast was on Love is Blind? Yes, yes. Ah, okay. So she is definitely our first star of the week. Um, but I've got a personal second star of the week. I was really excited about recording this podcast with Libby. Not only is she my best friend, but like, I really love the series. So I might have gone to get my nails done. And my nail lady, Leora, is my favorite person in the entire world. She actually gave me Akatar inspired nails. So we've got, I mean, I want you guys to head over to our Instagram, A Court of Thorns and Podcasts, and look at my nails because I am so impressed with this woman. She's never read Akatar before, but this poor woman had to listen to me for three hours drone on about this podcast. So please go, go give her a follow. Let her know that we sent you over. I could not be happier with my nails. And when I showed them to Libby, she absolutely freaked out. I can't believe that she had no information on the Akatar, the books, any of it. All you did was explain to her what you wanted and she nailed it. Ah, but I'm, oh gosh, guys, she killed it. She, and I've seen your other nails. Like it's not just the Agatar one. She is phenomenal. She does some gorgeous work. She's insanely talented and she's actually self-taught, which I am blown away with. What? No, you didn't tell me that. What? Oh, 100% self-taught. She showed me like her nail options, like the different nail designs. And I genuinely thought that she put stickers on the nails because her art was that amazing. So please go over to her Instagram. It is uh, at nails by Leora, L-E-O-R-A-H. And just go look at how insanely talented this woman is. So hello, calling all dreamers. We want to hear from you guys. Truly, whatever you've got to say, get it out there. Send it to us in an email. It's going to 
going to be a court of thorns and podcasts at gmail.com. Tell us everything, how you found the series, your favorite characters, how much you hate it. Give us like the dirty details, man. Any questions you have for us? What do you want to hear us talk about? Ooh, if you want to be a star of the week, yes, you listener, you could be our star of the week. Send us your art, anything within the Akatar community that you do that is original to you. Send it in, please. If you've made it to the end of this relatively long podcast, we just wanted to say thank you. This is our first podcast. I'm sure we'll get better. We're learning. We'll get there. Regardless, thank you. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered, we'll see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. I thought that no one could fix me. voice like sound weird like my my big thing is like i'm so nervous people are gonna listen and be like i can't stand her voice i'm like that's fair i mean if they do fuck off
Does my voice, like, sound weird? Like, my my big thing is, like, I am so nervous. People are going to listen and be like, I can't stand her voice. I'm like, that's fair.